0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're continuing our study in the book of Romans. And uh, last week we covered the first few verses of Romans chapter 6. We covered verses 1 through 10, which started out with, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And remember, what Paul was dealing with here was he had just finished talking about in the chapter before, in chapter 5, that where sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. But in verse 20 he says, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so we talked about the fact that there was a group of people at that time who took that then to say, Hey, if if sin abounds and grace abounds even more, then I can just live in sin so more grace can abound. There was that philosophy in that day. And so Paul answers the question immediately, In chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the first two words of verse 2 says, God forbid. In other words, and we talked about how the terminology there was terminology for habitual sin, going to the same sin over and over and over again. And so Paul knew that there were going to be folks that would say, hey, I'll just keep going to sin because then more grace can abound. He says, is that how we're supposed to live? No, we're not. And so then he goes through that. We talk about that through verse 10. And then we pick up in verse 11 with some familiar terminology that we've seen already in the book of Romans a few times. And so, point number one is yielded to God and not to sin. Yielded to God and not to sin. Notice what it says in verse 11 it says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Now, remember, we've talked about that word reckon before. In, 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 in the book of Romans here, that's an accounting term. It's coming to terms with something. When something is reckoned to our account, it's put into our account. And so Paul says, listen, you need to reckon that yourselves are dead to sin. In other words, you need to, you need to have the account that's myself and realize that that account is dead to sin. When I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I am now dead to sin. That's what he talks about. He talks about being dead to sin, but notice also, he doesn't just stop there with dead to sin, but he says, but alive unto God. And so that should be two key points in the life of a believer. What should our life look like? Well, our life should look like, number one, dead to sin, and number two, alive to God. In other words, sin is put to death. It's not part of our life anymore. Now, we know we struggle with sin, and we'll talk about that some more today as well. And we understand that because we have that, we have that, that flesh, that desire still in our lives. But we ought to reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive unto Christ. But then I want us to notice the means of that. Through what? Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, it's not through me. It's not through my efforts. It's not through my initiative. It's not through just me gutting it through, whatever term you want to put it. It's not me. I am not the one. I cannot by myself reckon myself dead to sin and alive unto God. It's done through Jesus Christ, through the strength that comes through Him. He's the means of, of all that's good in our life. As a matter of fact, the Scriptures tell us that He is our life. He is the means of everything good in our life. And so concluding the previous thoughts, we are told to let not sin, therefore, reign. That's what it says in verse 7. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Why does he use the term mortal body? Well, I think he uses the term mortal body to help us to understand that there is a, a tendency of the flesh to sin. Why? Because we're weak. We're weak. And so we have this tendency that's there in ourselves, is to be weak in the flesh and give in to temptation. Isn't that what we talk about? We talk about giving in to temptation. Satan Satan throws something out there. He throws some bait out there in front of us. Something that's going to try to lure us in. And, and we're weak in the flesh, and we give in to the bait. We take the bait. and And, and that's what we have to be very careful of in our lives. We have to be careful about not allowing the weakness of our flesh to cause us to still let sin reign in our bodies. See, sin wants to reign. Sin desires to reign. But if we reckon ourselves dead to sin, that means sin doesn't have to reign. We don't have to let sin reign in our body. But if we allow it to in the weakness of our flesh, it will. And so we must be careful. That's what James talks about. If you flip over to James just for a second, James chapter 1, notice what it says in verse 14. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It's, it, it's from within. It's the flesh inside of us. It draws us. It, it tempts us. It, it tries to entice us. And, you know, that's, a, that's the same thing, you know, I, I love to fish, and it, it's that same idea of throwing the bait out there in front of the fish and then what? Trying to entice it. Why? What? Moving it or by shaking it or by letting the sparkle on the side of it reflect in the sunlight or whatever whatever kind of bait you're using, it's it's using that bait to try to entice the fish to bite. And, and, And that's what he's talking about here. This is what happens inside of us. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth what? Sin. That's what we're talking about. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then he says, do not err, my beloved brethren. James here talks about this very issue that Paul's talking about. Not letting sin reign in our body. Refusing to let the flesh have its way refusing to let it entice me to do something i shouldn't do or not to do something that i should do it works both ways and so what i have to do is i have to learn through the strength not my strength through the strength of the lord to resist the temptation to resist allowing sin to reign in my life we're familiar with first john first john chapter 2 verses 15 to 17 it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and then he lays it out. Same idea, ideology of what Paul's talking about here. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's what we're talking about, fleshly lust, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What are we to be avoiding in our life? We are to be avoiding that. Pull that enticement, that, that enticing of the, our flesh to do something we should not do. Paul says we need to avoid it, and part of how we avoid it is by putting it to death. That's what he says. Don't let it rain in your bodies. He says, verse 12, Let not sin therefore rain in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. We shouldn't be obeying sin in our body. We should be ne- rejecting it. And then he says this, and this is where we get to point one here, yielded to God not to sin. He says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. The word yield there literally means to present ourselves. He's saying don't present yourself as an instrument of unrighteousness. Instead, present yourself as an instrument of righteousness unto God. So we can live unto sin, or we can live unto God. The life of the believer should not be a life living to sin through unrighteousness. It shouldn't be that way. That's not how we should be living. We should be living a life of righteousness. Does that mean we'll never make mistakes? Certainly not. We're all human. We all still have the flesh. We're all going to make mistakes. But... Am I striving to live life the way God wants me to live it in righteousness? Or have I basically just thrown in the towel and I'm just going to live my life over here in unrighteousness? Because I think that's what happens a lot of times. A lot of times I think we just get the mindset of, I can't win anyway, so why try? Well, that's a pitiful mindset, folks. If you were on a sports team and you approach the start of a game and say, well, we're not going to win this one anyway, so why even try? Your coach would throw you off the team probably because it's a pitiful mindset to have. No coach wants to coach a player who basically says, we're going to lose anyway. No, you want to coach a player who says, the odds are against us, but we're still going to try to win. That's the kind of player you want to be coaching, and that's the kind of player you want to be on a team. Well, same way in the spiritual life. we got to, we got to understand we're not going to win every battle, but we need to try. We don't just throw in the towel and give up because we lose battles along the way. And so, and so the apostle here, he says, listen, the life of the believer should be a life of behavior that is righteous in living. Well, how is it done? Well, 1 Peter tells us how it's done. If you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, and starting in verse 13, it says this. That is the wrong passage. Well, I am sorry. That is the wrong passage. Okay. Somebody can look up the passage for me, be holy for I am holy, and tell me where it is, because I'm in the wrong place. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, it's done through a life of living holy. God says, be holy as I am holy. That's what he says. That's how we are to live. We are to live lives of holiness. That is the goal. Now, I was talking to Jim. This. Where am I at, Brother starting in verse 16 i had it starting in the wrong verse okay thank you first peter 1:16 let's go back over there now sorry about that sometimes i can't even read my own writing first peter 1:16 because it is written thank you be ye holy for i am holy and uh, that's how we were supposed to be living. You know, I was talking to, to Brother Jim this morning. He was asking me if I golf very often. I, I don't golf very often. I'm not good at it. But when we were down at Brian's house, we, we went to Top Golf. I don't know if anybody's ever been Top Golf. You don't have to have any skill to play Top Golf. You just whack the ball and hope it lands in one of the big pits, and you get a few points. So uh, it, it's great golf for me, who I'm a, I'm a terrible golfer. And uh, but you know, if you golf on a regular golf course. The goal is to what? Every time you hit the ball, the goal is to get a hole-in-one, right? I mean, that's really the goal. Now, that's not going to happen, basically, next to never, because I'm not a professional golfer. You know, I'm not going to whack holes-in-one every time I go out there and start hitting the ball. matter of fact, I usually hit it about 100 yards, and I have to hit it about six more times to get it to the pin. But, but you know, the goal is to get a hole-in-one. We don't reach it. We, I mean, hardly even professionals hardly ever reach that every once in a while. But that doesn't mean you don't try for that. You strive for the goal. The goal is to hit a hole in one. You strive for We are to live lives of holiness. That's what God is. He says, as I am holy, be ye holy. So he's, he's the one that's, God is the one that's telling us, live holy lives. And so our goal should be to live holy lives as God has called us to live. And so we need to be striving for that goal. So we do it by living holy lives. Romans, and I don't want to steal thunder from later in Romans, but Romans chapter 12, we'll be there in a few weeks. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're all very familiar with this passage, I'm sure. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, what, present your bodies, what, a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Stott, in his commentary, says this, In spite of our newness in Christ, remember, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our our Savior, we become a new creature. But in spite of our newness in Christ, Stott says, holiness is neither automatic nor inevitable. In other words, what is he saying? (coughs) He's saying it's something we have to work towards. Something we have to work towards. Just because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior doesn't mean suddenly my life is just everything's holy and I never have to work, never have to put any effort in. Matter of fact, that's completely the antithesis of what the Bible tells us. What does the Bible say? It says we're in a warfare, we're in a battle for our very souls, for our life. We are in war. And that's what the Bible tells There is effort that has to be made. There is energy that has to be output to live life the right way. Why? We are to present our bodies, what? A living sacrifice. And then he says, holy and acceptable unto God. Now, why does he say that? Well, because, folks, we understand not every sacrifice is acceptable unto God. And that, that may shock us a little bit. We may say, well, I, I, I sacrifice to the Lord. But you know, every sacrifice is not acceptable or pleasing to God. Just ask Cain. Cain learned, didn't he, all the way back in the book of Genesis, that every sacrifice is not acceptable unto God. But we see a case in point in the book of Isaiah. Turn with me just for a moment to Isaiah chapter 1. In Isaiah chapter 1, we see this very point that we have to understand that not every sacrifice is necessarily acceptable unto God. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks, or of lambs, or of he goats. When you come to appear... Uh, before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations, incenses, an abomination unto me, the new moons, the sabbaths, the calling assemblies. I cannot away with it It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth they are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them, and when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you, yea, when you make. Many prayers I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together. saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel... Ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now this is a passage where God himself is speaking to the children of Israel. And what does he say? the, The people in Sodom and Gomorrah, what does he say? He says, basically all the things that are connected with worship means nothing to me because your heart's not in. it. Is basically what he's saying. He's saying your feasts. Your, your sacrifices, the killing of animals and burning them on the altar, this, this, this. He lists all these things, and he says, I'm done with it. As a matter of fact, I hate it. I loathe it. Why? Because your heart is not in it. He says, you're just sacrificing for the name of sacrifice. And we know the children of Israel were guilty of that because the Lord deals with them in other passages of Scripture for the exact same thing. So we know, we understand That not every sacrifice is acceptable unto God. So what does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 12? And we'll deal with that passage more when we get there. He tells us to present our bodies, what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God. And then we get to verse 14 in chapter 6. Notice what it says. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. The only thing I can say there is, thank you, Lord, that we are not under the law, but under grace. Why? Because no man can keep the law, folks. Remember, what does the Scripture tell us about the law? If if we offend in one point, we are guilty of all. There is no man that walks the face of this earth that can keep the law. And so what do we need? Because we can't keep the law, we need grace. Grace. And that's what Paul says here. He says, listen, he says, says, don't let sin have what? Dominion. What does that mean? Don't let it rule. Don't let it rule. See, folks, we can allow sin to rule in our life. And, and, And Pertaining to this passage, Spurgeon says three things. He says, number one, he says, verse 14 is a test. Is our faith genuine? Am I letting sin have dominion in my life, or do I have a genuine faith before God? Number two, he says it's a promise. In other words, sin doesn't have to have dominion in the life of a believer, and it should not. And then he says, number three, it's an encouragement because we understand that we are free from the rule of sin because we're set free in Jesus Christ. That's a great thought when you think about verse 14 there, folks. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. In other words, it doesn't have to rule. I don't have to allow it to rule. The problem is, over and over again, folks, we as believers allow it to rule. And and, you've got to ask yourself, why do I do that? Why do I let something control me that should not have control over me? That's, that's what we really have to get down to here in dealing with this sin aspect. But he says, you are not under the law, but under grace. Philip says this in his commentary, continuing victory for the emancipated believer does not depend on his own efforts, but on the abundant supply of God's grace. See, folks, it's not my effort. Why? Because I'm weak. I'm weak. That's why I love 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he says, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, the Lord's strength, is made perfect in what? My weakness. That's why I love that verse. God's strength, his strength, is sufficient for me. And that brings us to point number two today, a question of sin. A question of sin. Now remember last week we talked about, we start out in verse 1, we said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And we said that what he's referring to there, the the tense in the original Greek language, talks about habitual sin. Sinning the same sin over and over and over and over again. And Paul says, Should we continue in that? And the answer was, No, God forbid. But now I want you to notice, we go into verse 15, and we almost get the exact same question. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So now he's just said that we're not under the law, we live under grace. So now he asks basically the same question again. Since we're not under the law, but under grace, should we sin? But there's something interesting. The wording, the verb tense now in the original language is in the aorist tense. That means dabbling in occasional sin. It's not habitual sin over and over and over again in my life. Now it's just playing with sin. A little sin here, a little sin there, a little sin over here. So what is Paul doing? Paul basically, that's why I love it. He's so intelligent in how he breaks down his arguments. He basically deals with people who just struggle with habitual sin, the same thing over and over and over again. He says, should we live that way so grace can abound? No, we shouldn't. Then he comes over here and he says, okay, how about dabbling with other sins? A little sin here, a little sin there, but different things. Should we do that? Because we're not under law. And now he says what? The same thing, God forbid. God forbid. Both both times he he answers his own question. He says, God forbid. No, we should not even live dabbling in sin. See, folks, so often we like to dabble in sin. We we like to to pick this sin and pick this sin and, and dabble with it. Oh, we can avoid this sin over here, but we dabble with this sin over here. See that's the that's the struggle because folks, what we do what we do in our mind is is we categorize sin. There are big sins, murder, uh, you know, uh, whatever. There's a whole there's big sins, big awful sins, and then there's in our mindset little sins, lying, being unkind. Well, that's not as big as murder. The problem is, folks, murder and lying they're both sin we categorize them we have to in society there has to be a bigger a bigger penalty for killing somebody than for just lying to somebody so in society we have to have levels of, of things now we turn them into crimes you know obviously murders a crime so so there's there's you know there has to be levels but when it comes to the spiritual realm sin is sin folks And it can be big sins or it can be dabbling in some little sins but they're still sins. And Paul says about both sides should we continue that way? And the answer is God forbid. No. No we shouldn't. When it comes to the spiritual realm we only have two choices. We can follow sin unto death or we can have obedience unto righteousness. He says, What then shall we say? uh, What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience (coughs) unto righteousness. What does he say? Whoever you yield yourself to. That's who you're going to be a slave to. So he said, you can choose. You can yield yourself and be a slave to sin still, even though sin doesn't reign over you. But you can still yield to it. You can still give yourself over to it. You can still follow it. But understand that the pathway of sin, Paul says, leads a certain direction. It leads to death. That's where sin leads. Or, Or, you can choose a pathway of righteousness. That's the choices we have. See, folks, God allows us to choose. Man has a free will. I can can choose to follow him and strive and work to live in righteousness through his strength. Or I can choose to let sin still be the master of my life and let it have dominion over me. But the choice is mine. God doesn't force me. I have to make a choice. And so every time in our life that we're faced with a decision that has spiritual ramifications, we're making a choice. I am going to choose to yield myself to sin, knowing that path leads to death, or I'm going to choose to yield myself to righteousness and obedience to God. That's the choice I have, a life with him, death or life. Those are my two choices. That's what we have to decide. And then he says this in verse 17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now I want you to notice Paul's wording here is very important. He says but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. In other words, he puts it in the past tense. You you used to be ruled by sin. You were a servant to sin, you were a slave to sin. That was in the past. The wording there is past tense. He says but now, what does he say? but now you have obeyed from the heart. From the heart. Interesting, isn't it? See, folks, a knowledge of God that's just in our head is worthless. It's got to be something from the heart. We've got to trust the Lord, our God, with our heart. We've got to believe in him with our heart. Just having head knowledge doesn't cut it. The scripture tells us in other places, listen, the devils, they have, they have head knowledge. The demons, they have head knowledge. They know about God. But it's a matter of the heart. He says, but God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart. That form of doctrine. What's he talking about when he talks about the word form? The word form there is a mold or a dye that, they, that was used to, to, so they could cast a mold to receive doctrine. The impression that was desired. We all understand a mold, right? You get a mold, you get something in a certain shape, and you either melt the metal into it, or you melt plastic into it, or, you know, if you, if you, if you have young kids, uh, you, have, you have Play-Doh, you know, you have the little mold makers where you squeeze, you know, put a cup of Play-Doh in there and squeeze it through some little thing at the end, and then it comes out like a shape of a star or the shape of a tube, or you know, the, and you can do all kinds of things with the Play-Doh because you, you crush it into a mold. And, and what it does is it comes out with the impression of that mold, the impression it's supposed to have is placed onto that thing, or if you have molten metal and you pour it down into a mold, or even we don't do this as much anymore. this is an older thing, but remember the days of jello molds you know you you had the little plastic thing, you'd make all the jello up, you'd put it in there, you put all the things in the jello that nobody wants to eat in jello, like uh, like green grapes and junk like that, you know you put all those things in there. I'm telling stories on myself. Anyway, you put all those things in there, right? And you let it get set up in the fridge, and then what do you do when it's done? You tip it over, and then what? The jello's in this mold, right? It's got all these little lumps around it. You know, it's in that little mold, the shape you want the jello to be and It's the impression of the thing that it was poured into. Okay, that's what Paul's talking about here. And he says, but ye have obeyed from the heart the mold, the form of doctrine. What was impressed upon you of the doctrine of God? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about as believers being filled, being impressed upon, be receiving the correct doctrine. Where do we get that doctrine, folks? We get it right here. We get it from God's Word. That's where we get our doctrine from. That's why in the afternoon today, we're going to continue on our study in doctrines of the faith, the basic doctrines of the faith. What do we believe about this book? What do we believe about God? What do we believe about Jesus? What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? Where do we get all that doctrine? It comes out of this book. That's where we get our doctrine. And so Paul says, listen, I thank the Lord that you once were a slave to sin, but not anymore. You have received the doctrine and have had it impressed upon your life, the doctrine of the Lord. And that's why he's saying, listen, you don't need to yield yourselves to sin. Instead, you can yield yourself to God. Two weeks. Two very simple lessons. Do we let sin habitually reign in our life? The same sin over and over again? God forbid. Or... Can I still dabble in a little sin over here? Sin here, sin there, sin there. God forbid. Paul says, listen. Yield yourself as an instrument of righteousness unto God. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of the message today. Very simple message. Very simple passage of Scripture, folks. And it really just boils down to simply this question. What are you yielded to? Are you yielded to God or are you yielded to the flesh to sin? It's a very simple question that every single one of us has to answer in our life. To whom am I yielded? Paul encourages us that we no longer need to let sin reign, but that we can choose to yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness. In Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask Judy just to play a verse of a song. Maybe the Lord spoke to your heart and you need to spend some time at the altar in prayer. We'll wait just for a moment this morning.